Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and pivoting to digital for the whole TRU community. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tkumloops Te Suetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And we did it! Exclamation mark! Question mark! It's the last week of classes, folks, and whether you support students, support faculty, teach students, or just work on a campus that runs with the rhythm of the times, you know that this is both a stressful and celebratory time of year. I want to talk about what end of term can mean for all of us. So let's get into it. to confess that there were moments where it seemed like this semester would never end. (laughs) And also, I can't believe it's already April. My to-do list definitely says it can't possibly be April. (laughs) Like, there's just no way. There is too much to be done. I'm looking down the barrel of conference season, as I'm sure many of you are. It sort of starts for me with Cascadia at the end of this month and then rolls hard at least through June. But I'm also trying to challenge myself to pause and reflect on the experience of this semester because obviously it's been unique (laughs) in so many ways, but I don't want this to be my lost semester. I don't want this to be a year that I look back on and just kind of say, well, I wish that hadn't happened. Because I think when we're pushed to our limits, the way so many of us have been this semester, we learn a lot, for better or for worse, about ourselves, the way we work, the way we take up space, the way we handle stress, the way we fail to handle stress. That one might just be me. So I think I'm going to (laughs) advocate for thinking about this week as a good time for some reflective practice. I know that those of you who are marking right now, or those of you who are maybe dealing with, oh, I don't know, academic integrity complaints, or, oh, I don't know, Moodle exams, you might not feel like you have a lick of time. But I think that there can be a lot of value in taking the time to reflect when you're still in the hairy and busyness and panic of the moment. Because part of that is what needs to be reflected upon, too, if that makes sense. I've been reflecting on some of the lessons that I've learned this semester, and I want to talk about one that has really come to mean a lot to me. And that is remembering to tell people the good stuff you think about them. <laughs> maybe maybe keep the other stuff to yourself. <laughs> what I mean by that is throughout the pandemic experience, we've all managed so much, such a huge volume, and often just wave after wave of bad news, right? 
some days it feels like that anyway, even if, you know, maybe you take a step back, it's not so bad, but in the moment it feels that way. I've been thinking about how much positive reinforcement has meant to me this year, probably more than at any time in my career. It maybe won't be a surprising revelation if I disclose to you that I am often powered by rage, or at least righteous indignation. (laughs) Self-assured moral anger, maybe? Not always well received. Not always well thought out. But this year, more than at any other point in my life, it's really been positive reinforcement that has kept me going. Hearing from faculty the moments when I've been helpful, those of you who take the time to write in and let me know you're listening to this show means a great deal. Hearing from folks who I work with that I have made their load lessened, it really does have a lot of value for me when I'm feeling so burnt out to know that the work I do matters. So something I've been trying to remind myself to do more (laughs) is to let people know when I'm thinking those positive things, when I'm impressed by someone's course layout, when I'm grateful for someone's contribution, when I'm just looking forward to positive engagement with a particular person. I'm trying really hard to remember to let people know. I hope that's a lesson that sticks with me past the pandemic because it's really easy to think you're too busy to do that kind of valuable work. And what I've learned this semester is that those moments of human connection, well, they've really kept my train on the tracks (laughs) more often than I would have suspected. I've always sort of felt like my work will speak for itself and people asking me to do more work is, is their sign of appreciation. And, and that's still true. Of course it is. I want people to trust me to write well. I want people to trust me to complete their projects effectively. I want people to trust my judgment and my expertise. But more than ever... I'm really grateful when people let me know in more concrete and tangible ways than just asking me to do more stuff. (laughs) I'm not fishing, by the way. Many of you have been very generous all semester, and that's really what has prompted this reflection. If anything, I'm giving you a little prod to make sure you're reaching out to the people around you to let them know if they've made this anus horribilis, if I can be just ungodly pretentious, (laughs) if they've made it a little better, I hope you'll let them know because it matters a lot. Someone who makes my life better all the time is my guest today, Brenda Smith. Brenda Smith is the open education librarian here at TRU, and she's also just an absolute delight, and she chairs meetings better than anyone I know. (laughs) I'm going to let her talk to you about why open matters so much. So 
So today I am here with Brenda Smith. Brenda, could you let folks know um, what you do on campus, where they might have encountered you in the before times, and you know anything else you'd like to say to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, again, my name is Brenda Smith, and I am the Open Education ca Librarian on campus. Uh, I've been around for about 20 years on campus almost. It'll be 19 years this past February. So I've been around a lot. Uh, you could have seen me in the Open Education Working Group, but I'm in a lot of committees and various aspects on campus. And I'm the six-foot blonde, so I kind of stick out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so the reason I asked you on the show today is because um, I'm curious about your work as an open education librarian, and I'm curious about how you maybe see open functioning maybe differently as we come out of the pandemic. Maybe we're going to see a bigger uptake, or maybe there are different stresses on open education on campus. And I just thought it might be an interesting thing to talk about as we start to plan for September. Um so I'm wondering, maybe you could start by talking about open education at TRU and the kinds of initiatives that are that are underway as part of encouraging a sense of openness on campus. Well, I think there's a lot of things that are going on. I mean, to begin with, there's been a really it's been happening for probably almost the last 10 years and it's been a lot of little pockets of, of things related to open that are just kind of starting to kind of coalesce a little bit and it's sort of all now under the umbrella of the open education working group which um kind of is a place for people to talk about open whether they're involved in it so you could be you know be involved through the open educational resource development grants that are being um funded out of the provost office, but delivered through the library, through CELT, and through uh, open learning. So that's one sort of aspect. There's also um, ZTC grants that are going on. There is um, H5P grants through BC Campus that people have um, that are that you've been involved in and others are getting involved in for this year. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things that are going on. There's the OERU initiative. Um, and there's all the various things that Brian Lamb's a bit involved in. So there's a lot of different things that are kind of going on. Mm -hmm. And I think it's people are becoming more aware of all these little pockets of what's happening. And I think the pandemic really, for a lot of faculty, it was a reality check about how students really didn't have a lot of access to resources. And that mm -hmm. I think open is a way to make education more accessible. Uh, for for those cases, but it's also something that has to be balanced because another thing that really came out is that not all students have the um, bandwidth mm -hmm. at home or wherever they're doing their research. So if you have it too digitally heavy, you still need it to be accessible. So I think there's a there's a balance of how you do those things, which mm -hmm. is sort of what's happening right now. But I do think that there's been definitely an uptake. Uh, on campus of faculty that are interested in open. And I think the pandemic really uh, opened their eyes to some possibilities and different ways of doing things. So I think we're entering a really exciting period of time, um, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I get that feeling too. I get the feeling certainly that there's more interest in looking to other options. And I guess, I guess the question is, why? I mean, one aspect of it is cost, right? And I think mm -hmm. it's often the big driver of interest in open is yeah. open textbooks are 
ideally, although there's a fair amount of open washing out there, not mm-hmm. so open, open, but ideally open is is free, is uh, finances are not a barrier to getting your course materials. Um, Do you think that's the main motivator or are there other aspects of open that people are engaging with now? I think it really depends on the person. For some people, that is the motivation and it's the whole social justice aspect of it. But for other people, they're becoming more interested because they want an opportunity to really engage with their teaching material to really make sure that the resources that they're sharing with their students are customized um, to what they want their students to learn and how they want their students to learn. It's a chance to provide Indigenous or localized content so that, you know, you're not using an American example or an Eastern Canadian example, that you can actually do something here in Shkrapnagulu, you know, to really have it relevant to what's happening. So I think there's, so I think there's different motivators. Um, And I think for some faculty, they like the academic freedom of it, that they can Mm. actually really make those decisions. So I think there's different conflicting motivations and I don't, or not, maybe not conflicting, maybe overlapping or or different motivations. And I think that you just meet the people where they're from and whatever the motivator link factor that, that speaks to them is great. Um, I know for me, it was the social justice that first interested me, but now it's also the real academic freedom of it that I find really interesting, but without forgetting about the social justice aspect. Yeah, I think that remix piece has been really powerful for lots of folks, especially, you know, by necessity, I think learning has been a lot more self-directed this semester, right, as we've been struggling with not being in the room with students and folks who already had a textbook that they had kind of uh, an open textbook that they'd customized where the examples were really connected to their own course material where they just excised all those chapters they didn't want to use you know I think that was a really good experience this term for lots of folks because I've always been surprised at how much negotiating we do with our textbooks once we choose them right like okay, I chose this textbook because it's the best one, but don't use chapter 10 because it sucks. And we'll read this article instead of chapter 11 because it's better. And with an open resource, you can do that and then make it just one resource for students. Or, I mean, I remember when I was a student, it was like, you know, read page 24 to 33 (laughs) or read section 1.1, 1.2, 1.8, and 1.9, right? Like just little bits and pieces and you'd have these huge gaps that weren't being used. So I like... That Or I like the fact that you can say, I don't like how, I like this overall, but I don't like how they explain this concept and I want to mm-hmm. change it to that. But for a lot of faculty, they just want to use it as is. They don't want to go to that effort to make the adaptations. And I think that's fine. I, I mean, mm-hmm. if they still want to just be doing the whole skip this chapter because it's familiar. But I find that sometimes people will do that for a few semesters, get comfortable with it, and then take the next step. I think it's sort of like a lake, you know, you can dip your toe in and just use mm-hmm. something as is. You can wade in a little bit deeper and adapt something, or you can jump in head first and create it yourself. It's kind of like course content in that way, right? Like mm-hmm. you might give the same sort of fairly traditional lecture the first few years that you're teaching because it's familiar to you and because it's the way you were taught. But, you know, a few years in, you start to remix that same material. The material is the same, but you're approaching it in a different way and you might start in little pieces and it gets bigger. It's kind of the textbook version of that, which I think can be really liberating for a lot of instructors. I, you know what? I think that's a really great, great way of explaining it. And, and I think it's a way for them to just engage in their content, especially if you've been teaching the same course for a while. It's a way to re-energize yourself. 
mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. I think, for part of it. But the other thing is, is that I think you can do bits and pieces. You can start using an open textbook, right? Then you can start adapting it. And then you can say, you know what, now I want to add some H5P into it to make it more interactive. And you can just do it step by step. You don't have to do everything all at once. No, I think that's actually one of the most inviting things about the way we approach open at TRU is I think, I think at lots of institutions, because you're kind of on your own with doing Mm -hmm. it, it sort of feels a little bit like all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, there's so many different people engaged in different aspects of whether it's adapting open resources or having students develop open resources Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it is on the resource side, there's so many ways to get involved Um, And I think that that, I think if you're listening and you've never really explored the idea of adapting content to your class, talk to folks on campus who are, because I think sort of uniformly, once you're in, like people don't get out again, you know, like I don't see a lot of people going back to a traditional textbook after they've played with open resources for a while. Yeah, not really. Um, Another actually thing that's going on campus, which I should have mentioned earlier, is that we have joined uh, KPU, like and Maricopa Mm. College and uh, Montgomery College, and there's another institution with the UN Sustainability Development Grant um, Open Pedagogy Fellowship. So we've just joined that. So we were invited to join that. So there's a new opportunity that's coming out as well. So um, I think there's different ways to engage, whether it's an open textbook, or it could be open pedagogy, or it could be a combination, or it could be even be just, you know, starting to use um, videos or other open assessments or things like that in your teaching. Mm-hmm. So I'm sharing, right? Like that's what I think is so great about something like whether it's the sustainability grant, which I'll include a link to the resources that you and Ken sent mm-hmm. out. So if people are interested, they can check it out. Um, or, you know, as simple as a tiny resource, as large as getting involved in a project like that, it really is a, a, a sort of sharing ecosystem, right? Yeah. It's like my resources aren't just mine, they're about the discipline as a whole. And I want to both provide for my students the most enriched version, which involves borrowing from people often, and share the good stuff out for other people to use as well. Oh, and if you're a faculty that's looking at tenure and promotion, um, mm. OER development or open pedagogy, like being involved in the open world, counts towards tenure and promotion, which is which is one of the unique, I mean, other institutions are starting to do it in different ways, but it's something that the provost is really supported and is really strongly encouraging as the different departments and divisions and um, faculties are revising their their tenure and promotion standards that they want that open. She wants that open to be explicit. Mm -hmm. It's huge because that's something that people are fighting for at a lot of institutions and having that sort of stamp of I don't know. I'm saying stamp of legitimacy. I don't really mean it in a cynical way. I think it's really important to see leadership at a university support a move towards open, particularly oh. like we're an open access university. Like it yeah. should be in our DNA, right? It, it makes a huge difference. And the provost has been so supportive. And I want to just give a shout out to her is that she has been really supportive of open at TRU. I mean, she comes to the launches for the OER development grant. She's funding the grant out of her office this year. Um, she has been super supportive of open. In, in various aspects. So uh, I think it's really great that we do have support at the um, upper administrative levels. 
Um, Brenda, can you talk a little bit about the working group? And because anybody can join the working group, right? If you're listening and you're kind of curious, that would be a great place to start. Right? Sure. It, we, I mean, we started it being really totally informal. And we realized after a couple of years that nothing was really getting going because if it's so informal, <laughs> nothing happens. So we wanted it to be um, informally formal or formally informal. I can't remember which way we decided to go. So we established it in 2018. So there is a chair and a vice chair and I'm the chair this year and uh, Ken Monroe from uh, Learning Design and Innovations and Open Learning is, and he's an instructional designer, is the vice chair. And uh, to have sustainability, it's a two-year commitment so that you're vice chair the first year and then the second year you're your chair and then there's a new vice chair that comes in so we have some um, ongoing sustainability for it but basically we want to have representatives from key areas on campus but also beyond that anyone can join so we want to have you know make sure that the bookstore is involved and that the registrar's office is involved and the student unions involved and and then we would ideally have representatives from every single faculty in school but we don't have formal, you know, you are the arts rep or you are the science rep. It's basically anybody who is interested in open can be involved. We have three meetings a year, like one in the fall, one in the winter, and one in the spring. Usually, I think our next one is in June. So we kind of just three a year and we have a listserv for communicating options for you know, opportunities for grants or to celebrate people's successes um, and as an opportunity for people to ask questions. And we're looking now at how can we create some sort of community of practice for people because some people are saying that they're feeling really isolated in their own individual departments with going open so we're looking at ways now to provide more support so we kind of thought at first well if you were just involved in the working group you'd see who was involved and you would just go yourself and connect with people but we're realizing we need to have a little bit more structure so that's what we're looking at right now but the group yeah is completely open we do have a website on the TrueBox site um that has more information about it. And the library also has an open education uh, resource guide as well that has some information and links to it as well. Awesome. I will make sure that I link to both of those in the show notes so folks can get connected. I guess here's a question that we haven't talked about yet because we've talked a lot about why faculty might want to engage in open. Um, as an open education librarian, someone who sort of sees both the student world and the faculty world when it comes to using materials, what are some of the advantages for students when faculty choose to go open? Um, I think for students, the first one that most of them are interested in is the fact that the lower cost or free cost. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, definitely a motivator. But they also really like it when the courses have been, the material in their courses have been customized to them. So it's actually relevant to them, that it has examples that speak to them. It has pictures of people that look like them, you know? So it has, so I think that's one of the, some of the things they like. Um, also with a lot of OER now, they are really accessible. They do have some accessibility. So what they're usually work with uh, font uh, screen readers and font size and things like that. So it makes them more accessible. So there's a variety of reasons, but I think for them, uh, the, one of the biggest is the cost and the the fact that it could be localized. They also like the fact that if you release the link, it's available right away. They don't have to wait for their student loan so they can buy something to kick in. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that they can have access to it after the semester is over. So it's not like, it's like you know, their Moodle course is shut down and they're not going to have access next semester. But if you have an OER and they have a link to it, they can still access that afterwards if they want it for a referral. 
Yeah, that's fantastic because ideally, I mean, particularly, you know, learning builds, right? And you may well want to. I certainly often did want to go back and look at textbooks to check something that I thought I understood or to look for a reference page. Um, and yeah, they're they're out there. They're accessible for students to do that. Is there a big movement around students creating resources themselves here at TRU? Is that starting to emerge? I think it's starting to emerge. There's there's certain courses that have been involved. Um, I know that Katie Sykes in law has been involved in doing some sort of uh, student development of stuff like that. Uh, I know there was a communications class that did a, the Food Loops project. Yes, um, yes. So I know there's a couple that are starting to um, become more involved in that student development. I think that's really the next stage is having students become more involved in the creation of either yeah. content or resources for other co courses, like, you know, helping that having, you know, like Robin DeRosa's projects, you know, I, I could see that happening here. Yeah, because when you think about sort of the philosophy that underpins openness, mm -hmm. it's about all the things that we've talked about so far, but it's also about student empowerment, right? And, and self-directed learning and students getting the opportunity to be involved in knowledge creation in their discipline, right? Often from a really early point, we don't, I think often, too often maybe, we think about students as being sort of passive receptacles for information, like they're sitting there and we're putting information to them. Uh, but it's a really empowering learning experience to have your instructor kind of turn that on its head and say, no, like you know this much now, so go out and create something that another student could make use of to learn this material themselves. And I mean, I know there's there's been some faculty that have done a couple of Wikipedia assignments with the editing of Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways of doing it. And I think um, as faculty start learning about what some of those opportunities are, that you can do more than just your standard, here's the end of semester essay, or here's the end of semester mm -hmm. group presentation. Um, some ways that the knowledge that they, they're learning, that they can share it and that it can can be built upon. I think is exciting. Yeah, we talk about it um, in terms of like authentic assessment, right? Or opportunities for students to show their learning that there's a phrase that folks use for those kinds of like, I wrote an essay and I handed it to the instructor and the instructor handed it back to me and I put it in the recycling bin, right? And it's like, it's a disposable assignment. We don't expect students to keep that work. Um, whereas the, the idea of you know, whether it's creating a Wikipedia page or, you know, a website or whatever it is that goes out into the commons and students share their knowledge. Um, you know, it has to be scaffolded properly and just mm. send students out like on their own from the, from the get-go, but uh, although you can, but I think that can be incredibly validating for students, right? To recognize the expertise that they've learned in a class and to treat them as people who can share that knowledge with others. That's, to me, that's the ethos and spirit of open that I really love. Yeah, I, I think it, and it's, it's respecting students and that they do have knowledge to contribute, right? That, mm -hmm. that others can learn from them as well. You know, it mm -hmm. kind of has that, it's, it's really empowering, but I, I mean, it does need to be scaffolded in the learning objectives and what's going, I mean, I, I don't, I don't agree with open for open sake. It, the, you mm -hmm. need to look at what your course is and what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also always come back to the idea that open only works when we choose it, right? Like forcing a student to demonstrate knowledge in the open when they don't want to kind of goes against a lot of the ethos of open, right? And not just for student. I think forcing faculty to go open if they're not interested is the same. You know, right. one of the things that I say when I'm messaging is to 
you know, consider your department, if you're looking at going open, is to consider your departmental culture. Is it something that you choose your own resources or do you do something collegially? Is it something, you know, just because, I mean, I, I hear some people in the open community say that if there's an open textbook, for example, in a course, there's no excuse not to use it and to use a traditional resource. And I don't agree with that because there might be very sound pedagogical reasons why a prof is making a decision not to use that, go that direction. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm very pro open and I want them to consider it. But I mean, it could be, you know what, this one I don't like. And there's too much work for me right now for what's going on in my own life or career to make the adaptations. But, you know, I'll look and see next year to see if there's anything new and to make that commitment, you know. Yeah. You know, those kinds of edicts like you have to use the open text or nothing. It's, yeah. It only alienates people. Right. It doesn't draw people in. And. And that's, Open... and that's infringing academic freedom as well. Yes. Like... Yeah, it's true. It doesn't make any friends if you start like dictating to people no. what they can and can't do in their courses. Yeah, it's interesting too because I think so often, you know, those positions, they come from a good place, right? Like somebody clearly believes that they, they have the best possible solution. But we don't always know each other's contexts. And I can think of situations where you know, an open text, particularly if it's a fairly self-directed OER, might not be the best choice for an individual group of students. And I think that when we get really preachy about it (laughs) or prescriptive about it, we just, we make it so that the conversation doesn't happen at all, which doesn't help anyone. Well, and I think it makes them feel judged if they make the decision not Mm -hmm. to. And there could be really valid reasons why they don't. I mean, maybe the existing textbook is very American and they just don't, want to make it into the metric system and they don't want to change Mm -hmm. the references to sort of some legal things or whatever. I mean, there could be very valid reasons. Um, Or maybe they're just not comfortable with open at this stage. And if you shut down the conversation and say they're bad, they're never going to be open to it. No, it's true. And I think especially because there are so many ways into the conversation, if you, if you make it combative from the beginning, then maybe they never explore something like, publishing in the open or, you know, like an open access journal or assigning additional open resources to students. Like there are lots of ways without feeling like you have to be all or nothing. And, you know, you make a really good point there. Something we don't probably don't talk about often enough is that there's a joy in remixing a textbook for your purposes, but it's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, And I think the people who are doing that work on campus should really be celebrated by us recognizing the amount of work that goes into that kind of a task, um, instead of just sort of condemning the people who choose not to take that on in this moment. And particularly because everybody is crazy overworked all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It's okay to not want to take on that load right now. And I think you also have to do it manageably. I mean, you could say, you know what, I'm going to use it as is for a semester and see what parts I don't like. And then mm-hmm. identify what your priorities are to adapt. And then maybe the next semester, you make a couple of changes, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's that you change a couple of chapters, or maybe you make all the changes, or, or you know, you, you do it in manageable chunks mm-hmm. so that it isn't overwhelming if you can do it, right? Like, so it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I mean, I remember um, Leanne de Michelle telling me that years ago, she got a course release to convert one of her courses to be using WebCT. Oh, yeah. Like a full course release to do it. And now wow. <laughs> using an, an LMS is just sort of 
the norm and expected. But we just made everybody do it on the fly about a year ago. Actually, <laughs> exactly. But you know, she said twenty years ago she got a grant to to help her do that. But I think, yeah. I mean, open may become similar to that, but I don't think it will ever be entirely that because it is still so much more work to customize. But the, but as more stuff is getting out there. I think people have one more that they can choose from or what they like. Whereas right now there's maybe if you're lucky five textbooks, right. Yeah. In your area, yeah. if you're lucky. Um, whereas as time people start making more changes, you can sit there and say, I like this part from this person. I like this part from this person. I want to put this and I'm going to create my own thing here. So you can have more choice, which I think hope is going to make it less work to do. Yeah, it's true. And then the PD experiment becomes like, I'm going to try to get through reading all these resources and picking the best bits instead of I'm going to try to reimagine this whole thing in my context, which is a lot for folks. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, one of my jobs as open education librarian is to help faculty find existing OER. So faculty can contact me and say, I'm looking for this and I can let them know, here's the options. And then they can go through that curated list to see which ones they actually are interested in because they're the subject matter expert. They're going to actually know, yeah, this one's totally out to lunch. This one, you know, uh, this person, no, no, no. But and I'm not going to know that because I'm not in the field, but I can navigate the different repositories and tools to say, here are your options. And then you can choose from there. So that does help with the work to do it. Absolutely. That's a fantastic resource to have on campus because I think Oftentimes, like anything online, just knowing even what your options are is is a <laughs> it's a big job, <laughs> right? So having the library's assistance with that, being able to go directly to you and ask for that help, I, that's actually a huge resource that not every institution has. Folks should definitely take advantage of it. No, I mean, it, it, and that is to- that is my job. It doesn't matter what discipline it is. It's any. Anyone looking to do open, it's not just, you know, oh, well, Brenda's not my subject librarian. I'm the subject for librarian for anything open. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And also that sounds really daunting. <laughs> um, Brenda, we're getting close to time. I'm just wondering if there's anything we haven't talked about or any aspect of open at TRU that you'd like to highlight or, or mention before we wrap it up today. Um, not that I can think of at this exact moment, but I just want to, you know, make sure that people are aware that there are, there is support out there if interest, people are interested in becoming more involved, whether it is OER or open textbooks or open pedagogy and practices, like there's different ways of engaging and that there's no right or wrong level of how deep you go um, mm-hmm. with it. And that, you know, get involved in the open education working group, because again, it's a listserv. And to to that you just you know purely get emails, and if you want to attend the three meetings here, you can. If you don't and just want to do the the follow the list, that's fine as well. So you can be as involved and open the at TRU as you want or not. So it's sort of like oh, the open world in general that you can just go to what your comfort and interest and aptitude is. And I have to say that open listserv is great. I've found out about multiple opportunities there that I followed up on that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. So it's really great, including my H5P project that I'm working on with BC Campus. So oh, wonderful. It's, yeah, it's really good to have that that resource available to people. And uh, I encourage you, even if you're just a little bit curious about Open, to join the mailing list because it gets some um, well, it'll, you'll find out about all kinds of things that you didn't know were going on. And it's not a super heavy. I mean, we try to post something 
maybe once a week or so. And sometimes it's like two or three a day and then nothing for two weeks. So it's not a super, you're not going to get no. spammed. And we try to keep no. everything focused. So, <laughs> and it's also an opportunity that right now it seems to be very basically sent out by, by myself or Ken, but it is open to anyone on the listserv to post. So we are encouraging other people to share stuff so that it isn't just, oh, it's Brenda or Ken. <laughs> I will say it's also a mailing list with really good etiquette. We don't get a lot of reply all threats. It's nice. <laughs> people are well behaved on it. <laughs> yes. No, we appreciate that. <laughs> and we do also have just uh, created, we also have a, a new Twitter feed as well. So we haven't really oh. done too much with it, but we've kind of started that as well. That's exciting. I didn't yeah, know. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll look forward to that. And uh, and I'll link to everything we've talked about in the show notes today so people can follow up. But if they want to get in touch with you as the open librarian, mm-hmm. is the best bet to send you an email to your, your Yeah, email? right now, because I am still working from home, the best way is to email me. And my email is brsmith, not bsmith. So. Ah, okay, that was great. I really love talking about open with you anytime, Brenda, but this yeah. is super fun. So thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, anytime. This was lots of fun. <laughs> so that is it for episode 24 of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. And I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. In both cases, that's Gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. While we're on the topic of reflection, or circling back to the topic of reflection from the top of the show... Have you built in an opportunity in these final moments of your class for your students to reflect on their learning? It's obviously too late for a new assignment. Wouldn't ask you to do that to your students now. But even just leaving some prompts for your students, whether it's in the final feedback you give them or as part of the final exam, offering them a time and a space to reflect, or at least reminding them of the value of reflection. We know that reflecting on our learning is a key component of making that learning stick, right? And sometimes it's easy to get so caught up in the importance of content and learning objectives and all that jazz and forget to remind our students to reflect. If you are a student listening, I really encourage you to spend some time thinking about what you've learned this semester. What learning experiences were positive for you? This has been a hard year, and I think possibly this semester even harder than last. Can you spend some time reflecting on what might have made this a good experience, or at least what good moments can you take forward with you? It's important to do not because we all need to pretend this pandemic year was good. It's important to do for your mental health so you don't feel like you wasted a year of your life and so that you can help to weave this very strange year into the narrative of your academic experience. Whether we like it or not, it happened. So whether you're in the position of talking to students or a student yourself, 
I hope you'll think about the importance of reflection and ways of making this year make sense. It's a hard thing to do. It's a harder thing to do this year than it ever has been before. But as the show says, you got this. I'm rooting for you. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.